This past Wednesday, a tragic shooting took place. I'm sure you heard about it, a life of a Canadian soldier in Ottawa by an act of terrorism. It was a woman by the name of lawyer Barbara Winters was heading to a meeting when she heard the shots. Now, she just happened to have been a former member of the Canadian Forces Naval Reserve, so for her, the sounds were unmistakable. She knew what was happening, at least she could tell through the power of the shots. So she runs towards the shots, and she sees people running away. And as she reaches this memorial, she sees four people bending over this fallen soldier. So she drops her purse and her briefcase, and she begins to help. And these folks, they work to save the soldier's life, encouraging him to hang in there. Well, Barbara began to recite the Lord's Prayer and talk to this soldier, Captain, or excuse me, Corporal Nathan Cirillo. And she felt that she could hear him. She felt that he could hear her. And so she says to him, you're a brave man, you're a good man. They find a pulse, and so she encourages him. They begin CPR, and so Winters keeps saying, you're loved. Your family loves you. You're a good man. And then she keeps repeating, your family loves you. Your parents are proud of you. Your military family loves you. And all the people here, we're working so hard for you. Everybody loves you. You're so loved. We're all trying to help you. Well, the ambulance comes, and the paramedics take over. And unfortunately, as we all know, Captain Nathan, Corporal Nathan Cirillo dies in the arms of the paramedics and the people working so hard to keep him alive. And Winters didn't feel that she did anything heroic. She praised everyone that was there, everyone that kept working on him to keep him alive. And she summed it up best this way. She said, when you're dying... You need to be told how loved you are. And she's right. I've witnessed many times, as I've seen and have been with families in hospital rooms, as they're there with their loved one, telling their loved one how loved they are, a mother, a father, a grandparent, anyone, a friend, communicating and sharing with them just how loved they are. But I would also like to say this. When you're living, you need to be told how loved you are. You need to be told how loved you are by God and others. And we need to know we are loved, and we need to let others know they are loved. Now, never has so much been said in three very simple words. And as I think about it, never has so much controversy, it seems like, been raised in three simple words, and those words are this, God is love. In those words, the beloved disciple gives us a simple but this profound description of the nature of God as the potential of who we have to become. And the word love, in my count, in the passage that Renee read, is mentioned at least 25 times. So love is not an afterthought. It's not a passing comment. It is the most complete description of the nature of God. And we, as those created by God, we're created to be what I call receivers of God's love, as well as those who radiate God's love. We pass on what we receive, this unconditional, transformative love of God. As this love does its work in our souls, we radiate that love outwardly to those, those closest to us. John puts it this way, dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God. 
And everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. Boy, that's a big statement. If you listen to it very carefully, the person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. What is the clearest evidence that I am in relationship with God and that I know God and I am connected to God? What is the clearest evidence? John says, you love. You love those that are around you. You love those in the world. Now, this isn't a sentimental kind of love. It's, it's a love that's lived on behalf of others. It's a sacrificial love. John writes, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice that deals with our sins. God reached out to the world, to us, with no strings attached, unconditionally. We didn't even have to love God first or say we love God. God simply loves us, loves all of humanity, loves the world, and God took these necessary steps in order to deal with our sense of shame and guilt. God has dealt with our failures, our mistakes, our shortcomings, our falling down. We no longer need to carry that burden, the weight of all that. We can let this go because of God's love for you and I and for the world. This is the miracle. This is the wonder of God's love. One writer puts it this way. He says, the great distinctive of the love of the Christian God is that there are no strings attached. Now, when I first read that line, I thought about myself as a kid uh, growing up in Jamaica. There wasn't a whole lot to do, which was good because there was no TV on in the morning. When we lived in Jamaica, TV didn't start till 5 o'clock, so we had to do a lot of stuff outside. And I remember just one of the things I tried to do was try to catch birds. And I, for some reason, thought that I could outwit these birds, and I would set up a box held up by a stick, and I would tie a string to that stick, and I would unroll it. And maybe I wasn't back far enough, but I thought I was behind the tree enough, and I would just sit there waiting for the bird to get the bread underneath that box. And then when the bird would come, I would just pull that string and catch that bird. I never actually thought what I would do with that bird once I caught it and how I'd get it out of the box. All I knew was that I wanted to catch that bird. I think sometimes we see God, maybe not, but as one who has strings attached. That God says, I love you if. I love you if. I love you if. It's like there's this box that God has with a huge string attached. And once we get inside that box, God just kind of pulls the string and catches us. And says, now that I love you, you have to do this. Or I will love you if you do this. But it's no strings attached whatsoever. God absolutely loves us as we are. He goes on, God simply loves humans. He created us for a love relationship with himself. And nothing that we can do or not do changes the love he has for us. And this love is for all. For God so loved the world. How big is the world? That's a pretty big place. For God so loved the world. Not just one group, not just one denomination. Not just one nation, not just one gender, not just one church, but the whole world. Children, men, women, youth, the elderly. We read this and we hear this and we know this and yet we resist it and disbelieve it and figure it's probably for someone else but me. When it comes to God's love, some of us may be pretty well convinced that we're an anomaly. It is for everyone else. But in this case... God says, I love everyone. You and I have been invited to not only receive this love, 
but to radiate this love outwardly. It's our calling. It's our mission. That God's love for us is an active love. It's a redeeming and restoring love. God's love is act- act- actively reaching out towards us to make us whole again. Now, one of the ways God's love reaches out toward us is in our pain and in our hurt. And maybe as a parent, you've done this with your child. They come into the house crying. They've fallen down. They hurt themselves in some way. And as a parent, you embrace them with tenderness. And then you ask them this, where does it hurt? Show me. Can you tell me? Where does it hurt? It's sort of what God's love is like. God's love embraces us. Embraces our lives with loving tenderness. And in our pain, asks us this question, where does it hurt? Do you want to tell me? Will you show me? Tell me, where does it hurt? And how would you respond to that question from God this morning? Where does it hurt? Not just your arm or your leg or a bodily part. Maybe that's what you want to tell God. But where does it hurt deep in your heart and in your soul? Maybe the hurt you feel is the pain from knowing you've caused hurt and pain in someone else's life. I have felt that hurt before. Maybe the hurt that you feel is the experience of betrayal or rejection. Maybe the hurt is knowing you've let someone down that is very close to you. Maybe the hurt is a sense of loss and grief and sadness. And whatever it may be, God and God's love asks us, where does it hurt? And invites us to name it and receive God's healing love. And God's love comes to us in the form of forgiveness, in the form of release from shame and guilt, maybe in the form of comfort and peace or confidence in the future. Sometimes it comes in the form of healing our resentment and bitterness. But God comes to us, and God's love comes to us and reaches out to our pain and in our hurt. I think God's love also reaches out towards us in a correcting way. Now, I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive because we're saying, well, God loves us. How could God correct us? But think about this. Again, don't you correct at least and hold accountable people that you love because you love them and you don't want them to be hurt and you don't want them to hurt themselves. There is in Revelation a short little verse that says this, I correct and discipline those whom I love. Or as Eugene Peterson translates it, the people I love, I call to account, God says, I prod and I correct, I guide so that they will live at our best. Think about it this way. God loves us so much that God wants us to live at our best. And because of that, God and God's love guides and corrects and prods us when we're not living at our best. Now, I know know full well those moments of prodding, correcting, and guiding. And at first I resist. I don't listen very well because that's my pride kicking in. Rather than seeing it as God loving me and wanting me to live at my best, I'm apt to see it as sort of God intruding on my own free space. I know what I need to do. I know how to do this. I know what's best. And certainly in God's wisdom, there are times that I do, but there are times where God is simply prodding and correcting in a very tender way and saying, if you listen to me, I know a better way. And God isn't doing it to shame me or to guilt me. God in God's grace puts his fingers on those areas in my life that needs attention so I don't sabotage my best efforts or in ways that may be self-destructive or maybe it's ways that are simply toxic to my soul or my character. But in those moments, I don't want to hear what God has to say. But if I keep in my mind that it's out of God's love for me, I can know that God has my best interests in mind. 
Sometimes we call that by the old-fashioned word, if you will, conviction. God convicts, and God presses in on us, and God shows us who we are in order that we can become who God wants us to be. And then I think finally this, God loves, reaches out to us by speaking to us in ways that communicates to us God's love and presence. It's sort of what I call a love language. Now, I, I say that, and some of you may have read this book and know this book. Gary Chapman, who actually just lives in Winston-Salem, wrote a book a while back. It's a bestseller. It talks about five love languages, that love is best communicated to you through certain actions, giving of gifts, spending quality time, acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation. In other words, there is a certain way that love is communicated to you best. For you, it might be someone spending time with you. For you, it might be someone giving you gifts. The idea is this. Whoever you're with, get to know their love language so you can communicate to them best on how they experience love. Now, I like to think that we have a love language with God, that God knows what best communicates God's love to us and the best ways that we receive it. So because of that, God intentionally communicates his love and presence to us in a way that connects deeply with us. Maybe just at the right time, we receive an encouraging card, or maybe we receive an encouraging word. Maybe at just the right time, God prods someone to stand up in open worship and give thanks to someone who has encouraged them. You see, I don't want to put you on the spot, Tommy, but I think this morning God just said to you, I love you because you helped this person in his spiritual journey. God speaks that love language to us. It could be that at just the right time, our child gives us a hug or we get a phone call or text from our child well, you want to talk about knowing you're loved by God, you get a text from your child that says, I just want to thank you for all you've done. You'll live on that for a long time, won't you? Maybe a sunset or a sunrise fills your life with joy. Sometimes a song comes on the radio, it fills your soul. Or a scripture is brought to your mind's eye, and it affirms God's promise in your soul. Sometimes it's just sitting in the silence, in that quiet, you experience God's love washing over you. I don't know what your love language is, but I, I would have a hunch that there's ways that God communicates to you that just fills your life with this deep sense that I'm loved and God cares for me and God just reminds us in that way. Well, this is the love that God has for us and the love God gives us so we can receive the love God has in order to radiate outwardly that love toward others. Now, here's what John has to say. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us, and his love is made perfect in us. You hear what John says? No one has ever seen God. So how will people see God in today's world? The best way that people see God is through our actions and through our lives and how we demonstrate that love toward one another and toward those, whoever they may be, in this life, in this world, in our daily interactions. People see God best through us. It's not meant to put a lot of pressure on us. It's just meant to simply say we are God's best representation of God's love in this world. Trevor Hudson talks about loving our neighbor. He has this to say. 
Notice Jesus doesn't say we must love everyone. That's God's business. It is impossible for you and me to love everyone in the world. How can we realistically love people we don't know? But he says we are invited to love our neighbor, the person or persons nearest to us at the moment. We take Jesus' invitation seriously by learning to love those near us. What would that look like for you? To love the ones nearest you. Let me give you just a taste of it, then we'll close. And this is that wonderful passage from Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. I wish Paul would have been a little bit more um, vague. I wish there are times that he would have been a little bit more, um, how can I say it, philosophical. But he gets right down to it. He gets right down to what it looks like. And here's what he has to say. Love is patient and kind. It's not jealous. It's not conceited or proud. Love is not ill-mannered. It is not selfish. It's not even irritable. Mm, I wish he hadn't put that in there. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. I meditated on that this morning. This is what I call God's new math. God doesn't keep a record of other people's wrongs, and why do I always keep count? Why do I always keep a tally? Love is not happy with evil, but it is happy with the truth. Love never gives up. It is faith, hope, and patience. They never fail. I just read a portion of 1 Corinthians 13. but That's all I need to read for me at least. That's a pretty good list to start with on how to love those closest to me and those nearest to me. God is love. God is love. The most profound, the most challenging, and sometimes the most threatening words one will ever pronounce in this world. Because for some reason, maybe there's those that don't want God to love everyone. I don't know. But that's the best thing I can go with. God is love. For you, for me, for all of us, and for all of this 